Welcome to 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and this is episode number 14 of the podcast. Another week, another win, another controversy as we head into week four, Sunday night football prime time against the Philadelphia Eagles. Another great show is ahead of you as we're talking about the week three win over the Giants, a preview of the week four matchup over the Philadelphia Eagles, and do we have a quarterback controversy brewing between Jimmy Garoppolo and Nick Mullins? Joining us today is a contributor to 49ers Hub, 49ers Web Zone, and he's the host of the Fourth and Gold podcast and the breakdown for the Pro Football Network. It's Matt Barr. Matt, really great to have you on. Let's jump right in. Topic number one, week three versus the Giants. The Niners won 36-9. to Niners made it a clean sweep in New York after the win on Sunday versus the Giants. And last week I said Nick Mullins, all he had to do was survive. And he did much more than just survive. He was phenomenal against New York. But before we get into Nick Mullins and the offense and all that stuff with the controversy with the quarterbacks and everything, uh, I don't know about you, but I was uncertain about the Niners secondary and how well they would play without Nick Bosa and D Ford. And while they haven't been phenomenal and, 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 they really haven't had the pass rush they usually have because those guys are great. They did come to play on Sunday versus the Giants, and they held Daniel Jones to 53% completion percentage, uh, and the Giants really couldn't do much offensively other than a few big hits here and there. And I know Emmanuel Mosley didn't practice today, waiting to see if he'll be active for Sunday against Philadelphia. On the other side of the ball, Jason Verrett looked fantastic versus the Giants, according to PFF. His first game back since uh, last season against the Steelers, he had a 75.3 overall rating, which was his highest since week 16 of 2015, five years ago. And he played his most snaps since week one of 2017, three years ago. My question to you is, what did you see out of Jason Verrett on Sunday? And do you believe, if healthy, Verrett's addition can give the Niners secondary some validity against teams like the Chiefs, the Cowboys, and even Seattle, who seem to have these offensive powerhouses, at least in the receiving core. Yeah, well, thanks thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Um, with Jason Verrett, confidence is everything for a cornerback. I think we've seen that with Akella Witherspoon, right? Akella Witherspoon started off last year so hot, and then he started to get beat, and then just started to snowball and snowball and snowball. And before you know it, he lost his confidence, and, and he couldn't stay on the field because he, he just couldn't get – he just – you know, he, he couldn't make it happen. Uh, with Jason Verrett, he's always a guy that's been – he's had the talent. He's always had the talent. The guy's always been able to play. It's just his body has failed him in every single turn. You know, he's been he's been injured way more often than not in his NFL career, and he's one of those guys my heart goes out to. I think he can. The only, you mentioned the Chiefs, which is which is funny. The only time the 49ers would see the Chiefs is if they play in the Super Bowl again, and right now it seems like the Chiefs and everybody else in the NFL, I think the Chiefs are just a spectacular football team. Uh, I think he can give them a little validity. They should get Richard Sherman back in a couple weeks. Um, you know, Jimmy Ward and Jaquaski uh, playing safety are great. But, man, that, that that lack of pass rush, I think, is really going to be the biggest test for Verrett. Can he do it? I hope so. I, I'm not completely sold just yet. The Giants don't scare me. They're, they're one of the worst teams in the league. And, you know, I, I need to see a little bit more from, from all these guys, not just two games against, you know, the lackluster Jets and Giants. Well, you mentioned the pass rush and, and how it will help guys like Barrett, and even how it helped the secondary last season. We saw what Nick Bosa and D Ford and, and the wonderful job they did to help improve the secondary. Uh, one guy who has stood out, I think, above most people has been Kerry Hyder uh, on the defensive line. He's having himself a career year. Uh, in just three games, already 14 tackles, two sacks, three tackles for loss, and six quarterback hits. We know he was with the Niners defensive line coach in Detroit for a little bit. They obviously brought in Ziggy Ansah. And, and while I, I don't think anybody is expecting Kerry Hyder to fill the role that Nick Bosa uh, has left after the ACL injury, is it reasonable for Hyder to fill D Ford's role knowing that D Ford's injury history has been a problem? And on top of that, uh, what do you think Kerry Hyder's success would mean for D Ford's future going in the future, knowing the injury concerns and knowing the rumors that have been circling around about possible retirement? Yeah, uh, let's start with D Ford. I would honestly be surprised if the 49ers see him suit up again this year. Um, the, the injury, the the back, neck, whatever it's going to be, whatever they're finally going to say, it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna make it onto the report as um, it, it's a very serious issue, and that's not something you can just kind of rush back. So I don't know if we ever see D Ford in a 49ers uniform again because I really don't see him on the team after this year. Uh, Kerry Hyder, I don't think he plays the same role 
as D Ford. Kerry Hyder is much more of a power rusher, and he's much stronger than D Ford. Uh, D Ford was absolute speed and terror off the edge last year, and that's where he makes his money. Kerry Hyder has been a very pleasant surprise for the 49ers. I've been beating my chest for this guy since week one. Um, he was one of my standout players week one against the Cardinals, and he's just continued to keep that ball rolling each and every game. And the 49ers have absolutely needed that. He's been their best defensive pass rusher so far this year. And with the absence of Bosa, with the absence of Ford, with with DeForest Buckner playing for the Colts now, they needed someone to step up. Um, Javon Kinlaw has been great on the inside, but when it comes to pressure from the outside, Kerry Hyder, he's not finishing plays. And, you know, he's not he's not pulling the quarterback down every time, but he's he's getting pressures and he's making quarterbacks uncomfortable. And really, that's what they need to happen because they need them to get the ball. They need the quarterbacks to get the ball out quick because the longer plays go on, that's when guys start getting lost in the secondary. That's when you get big plays. Well, you mentioned Javon Kinlaw, and that was my next question, moving to the interior defensive line. And, and you know, he has been the exact opposite of everything I heard, and I'm sure a lot of people heard from camp. I know I heard that he wasn't a third-down player or, or, or a three-down player, and he doesn't look as good as you know the 13th overall pick did. And I don't think many people expected him to be that week one, week two, even week three, but he has played and did play his best game for San Francisco on Sunday versus the Giants. And I know he doesn't have a sack yet, but he's knocking passes down on the interior defensive line, and he's kind of tearing up interior offensive linemen. Now, I know the Jets and the Giants don't have the best offensive line, but... Uh, what has impressed you the most about Javon Kinlaw, and where does he rank for you? I know it's really early in the season, but where does he rank for you among defensive rookies, whether it's in the NFC West or the entire NFL so far? Oh, that's a lot to unpack there. Um, Javon <laughs> Kinlaw, the, th- the thing that's most impressed me is his grown man strength. He is strong. That guy knows how to put pressure right up the middle, and he knows how to use his brute force. When Daniel Jones tried to rush, he tried to quarterback sneak on fourth and one um, late in the third quarter. Javon Kinlaw gets a huge push against two offensive linemen and just absolutely blows that play up. It's something that doesn't show up in the stat sheet. It's something you have to go back and kind of catch it on film to see because the replays are just so quick and they go right by you. I know a bunch of fans were upset they weren't hearing Kinlaw's name, right? They, they wanted to hear sacks and they wanted to hear – Kinlaw doesn't play a production position. He doesn't play a sack position. He plays a thankless – position on the interior that's just the nature of the beast and I think we've seen a lot from like you said in camp they said that he didn't have the counters and he wasn't going to be a three down player but now he doesn't have a choice injuries have forced him into this role where he is going to have to play because they're going to have to keep Armstead on the outside pretty much exclusively now so they are going to need Kinlaw to be a three down player and you mentioned him batting down passes if you go back and watch his college tape at South Carolina he excels and getting his hands up and into the passing lane. He did it all the time in South Carolina, and it's ha- I'm happy to see him doing it at the NFL level already. I think the sky's the limit for this guy. You know, I don't think we're going to see, like I said, he's not a huge numbers position. He's not going to put up a ton of numbers, but I'm really excited to watch him. And when it comes to, as far as rookie defenders go, it's still really early, really early in the year to base all that stuff. Chase Young's looked really good in Washington, but he has a groin injury. Uh, Isaiah Simmons looks really bad in Arizona, and as my podcast partner Javier Vega likes to say, he's just Mark Barron, which I'm kind of starting to believe a little bit. Um, <laughs> he's just a tweener guy that can't figure out if he's a safety or a linebacker. Um, but you know, it's just it's it's too early to kind of say he's in the top tier of the rookies. But what the 49ers can say is they are very very happy, and they have to be happy with the production and the play they've gotten out of Kinlaw so far. Yeah, I think what I've seen at Kinlaw is just someone who, he's a young guy who you had hoped, and if Bosa and Ford and, and everyone's healthy, that he has time to kind of fit into the system and kind of make his own way and kind of learn as he goes on and, and then gradually makes a better, uh, play starts playing better and makes better impact on the defensive line. But you mentioned the Niners being happy with how he plays, and I know we're going to get into the offense soon, but I have one more question to you because two weeks ago I mentioned how bad Quan Alexander played against the Cardinals. Last week, or two weeks ago, John Chapman said how bad he played against the Jets. And I want to get your opinion on Quan Alexander because John Chapman, and I'm, I'm not going to have you guys go back and forth here, but he said that Quan Alexander was the worst player on the field uh, in last year's NFC title game and on the Super Bowl. Uh, do you have that much disdain for Quan Alexander? I know Chapman said he loved him, but uh, what do you make of Quan Alexander's play so far early in the season? 
Uh, big fan of John Chapman. So shout out John. We've had him on the podcast before, and he's one of our he's one of our biggest supporters. He's been around since day one. So big shout out to John. I don't think Quan Alexander is the worst player on the field for the 49ers. Um, <laughs> I do think that he has been subpar is the way I'm going to put it, because he has made some plays, but he has missed some tackles and he has really killed himself uh, in coverage a couple of times. I think Dre Greenlaw should be playing over Quan Alexander. I think Dre Greenlaw has shown himself to be an every down linebacker. I think he he grew into that position last year when Quan went down with the torn peck. Quan uh, Alexander, he's, he's another guy. He's probably going to be a cap casualty at the end of this year. He's overpaid for his position as is. He doesn't produce. And when you're playing against, you're playing with, I should say against with, the best linebacker in the NFL, linebacker one, Fred Warner, everything you do is going to get magnified because it's going to be compared to your running mate. So for me, Quan Alexander is is a fine player. His speed puts him in a position to make a lot of plays. He just needs to start closing, right? Coffee is for closers, and that's what we need to see out of him. We need to see him earn his coffee because I'm tired of watching him put himself in position to make a play and then just not make the tackle. That's been his... Ooh, that's been his biggest uh, his biggest Achilles heel so far. I know we know uh, last year he dealt with the injuries, fought his way back, and now this year, while he's healthy, the rest of the team has seemingly fallen apart. And this is where I want to get into the offense, because the offense is banged up. It's hard to even say even more than the defense is. And Kyle Shanahan was heavily criticized after the loss against the Cardinals for his play calling, and everything just seemed kind of off. The chemistry was off on offense. The receivers weren't getting open. Garoppolo wasn't hitting receivers when they were open. Both multiple starters out, and that means Garoppolo, Mostert, Coleman, Samuel, Kittle, Weston uh, Richburg, and you know, now Jordan Reed, who's put on IR recently. Uh, Shanahan seemingly turned up the heat and said, we're taking things to the next level with these guys out. And I'm sure... A lot of that has to do with playing the Jets and the Giants, who are likely the two worst teams in the NFL. Uh, but the Niners have outscored their opponents in the, in the last two games, 67-22, to 22, and outgained them 779-508. to 508. My question to you is, when you look at the Cardinals game, and then the next two games in New York, what stands out to you that Shanahan did different? Was it just that the Cardinals are a better team than the Giants and Jets, which is probably likely? Or was it having guys like Brandon Ayuk back and having guys uh, like Ben Garland back on offense like was it something like that or did something else that you saw that you know, was the reason for the improvement a little call may a little call and be on that one I do think the Cardinals are a better team than the Giants and Jets I think the Giants and Jets are the two worst in the league and I think the 49ers absolutely lucked out with the way their schedule went if they if they were going to drop week one which they did to go and get two get right games back to back play those two really poor teams and get your mojo back um, I think week one was a lot of what what we saw across the league from some teams, and that's just their offense didn't get it together. You know, when you're missing all those guys, you're missing your top two wide receivers and Debo and Ayuk. You know, George Kittle was 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 hurt at the end of the first half and was pretty much only on the field as a distraction in the second half against the Cardinals. Uh, it really is tough to, to get your rhythm going and, and to put it all together because Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't really thrown to Kendrick Bourne that much. He hasn't thrown to Dante Pettis a ton. We already know that chemistry is not there. Uh, Richie James can't get on the field as a receiver, and now he's on IR. There's just so many different things. It was like a perfect storm week one, I think, of uh, of stuff that went wrong for, for this offense. And they've since kind of put that back together a little bit. I think Nick Mullins was on time and on schedule. And when Nick Mullins is on time and on schedule, he is a good quarterback. I don't think there is, I'm sure we're going to get into this, but I don't think there's a quarterback controversy. I'll, I'll, I'll expand on that because I know that question's coming. I'll expand on that later. Um, but I think Kyle Shanahan has been able to get his guys more comfortable and he he's figured out how to work around some of the deficiencies that he had because you know, we saw it a couple of years ago when Jarek McKinnon goes down right before week one against the Minnesota Vikings. Their offense just comes out and looks super flat, right? They just look terrible because they, they had to completely scrap their game plan. And I think, you know, all through training camp, they, they had this idea of what the offense was going to look like. And then injuries, 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 injuries. And it set it all off whack, it, off course, out of whack. And they had to recover. And I think that's what they've done these last two games is figure out what they need to do, what works, and how to work with the personnel they have. Now they're getting Brandon Ayuk back. Debo Samuel is a full participant at practice today. I'm very excited to see what these guys can do moving forward. Well, we know the injuries, and you just mentioned the quarterback controversy questions coming, so let's get right into that here. With the injuries the offense has sustained, which has been a ton, 
We've seen multiple players step up in key absences, and, and Nick Mullins did that on Sunday when they needed him most. Uh, I wouldn't have trusted C.J. Beathard if my life depended on it, but Nick Mullins is someone you can put in there and say, we're going to be just fine for at least a game or two. And again, last week I said all he has to do was survive. I wasn't expecting him to go put up 39 points against the Giants, but all he had to do was march it down the field, get a touchdown, or get a couple of field goals, and game's over. And that would have worked because you look how bad the Giants played, but he was much more than that on Sunday. His comp percentage was 69%, 343 yards, one touchdown, a QBR of 80, and a rating of 108.9. I mean, he did everything you want a backup quarterback to do and more. And while I do know Kyle Shanahan came out today and kind of pushed the idea of a quarterback controversy down and smashed it and said it doesn't exist. If Garoppolo is healthy, he's going out there. That's our guy. And even though some Niner fans hear that, they're going to keep that quarterback conversation or the quarterback controversy conversation going. Even when Jimmy Garoppolo was healthy last year and leading this team to a Super Bowl, some fans were still saying, give me Nick Mullins. Even when Garoppolo struggled at times, which wasn't often, but at times he did last year, they were saying, give me Nick Mullins. And so now Nick Mullins is starting. Don't know if he's going to start this week. He came out today and said, I'm not sure. We'll have to wait and see. But Garoppolo is, is questionable. We'll see what his status is. But now again, fans are saying, give me Nick Mullins. I'm already tired of it, and I'm sure you are too. Because to me, Jimmy Garoppolo has a better record than Nick Mullins. He's proved, he proved it back in 2017 that he can take a team from the bottom and bring them to five straight wins. He did it again last year when he took a team to the Super Bowl. Like, the team had the number two overall pick, and he takes them to the Super Bowl. They were a four-win team, and there's no if, and, or buts about it. Garoppolo is a leader of this team. He's a quarterback of this team. Because, in my opinion, you don't abandon someone as successful as Jimmy Garoppolo has been. And he's going to continue to be successful in Kyle Shanahan's system with the offense they have in place. And to me, it would be a massive mistake to go away from Jimmy Garoppolo because a certain group of fans or Mullins has one to two good games. Because to me, that sets the entire franchise back and could potentially, because the Rams are playing good, the Cardinals look better, and the Seahawks have Russell Wilson, so it doesn't matter how bad they are, they'll still be at least a 10-win team. That could propel them to the bottom of the NFC West despite how good the defense has played and how great Kyle Shanahan's system has been. So my question to you is, despite the people that believe in Nick Mullins, and there are some people that believe this next part, and that's Kyle Shanahan, to a certain point, favors Nick Mullins over Garoppolo due to the way that the offense runs with Mullins. It seems like the offense is more open, uh, more electric. Uh, Do you think there's any truth to that, that Kyle Shanahan does favor Nick Mullins or is more comfortable with him under center, or is that just speculation? I think it's a little bit speculation. I, I, I'll start with this. Mullins truthers are going to see exactly what they want to see because when, when you when you tell them that Jimmy Garoppolo was 14 of 16 for 131 yards and two touchdowns without George Cato, without Debo Samuel, for a quarterback rating of 140.4, they're going to tell you it was just the Jets. But then they're going to turn around and they're going to throw Nick Mullins' stat line at you. And then when you say, well, that was just the Giants – they go, oh, what, 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 what are we talking about? What Jimmy Garoppolo did against the Jets on one leg is one of the most impressive things I've seen from his, him in his entire career. It was absolutely a gutsy performance. He got them the lead they needed so they could sit him in the second half. Nick Mullins, like I said, is fine. He is fine. I don't think that Kyle Shanahan uh, – I don't think Kyle Shanahan trusts him more. I, I think when you look at particularly third down conversions, Jimmy Garoppolo is much more efficient on third down than Nick Mullins. Now, obviously, against the Giants, they didn't punt once. So they were perfectly – not perfectly efficient, but they were very efficient on third down. I, I just – I can't get behind the idea that Mullins is better than Garoppolo. Uh, I do think Garoppolo is playing for his job this year because after this year, the 49ers basically don't owe him any money. So Garoppolo is – you know auditioning for his job moving forward and Nick Mullins is also trying to audition for this starting job moving forward as well but I don't think that I I don't think Mullins is better than Garoppolo I think it's I think it's close but I would give the edge to Garoppolo like 10 times out of 10 you know what I mean it's just it, it doesn't Mullins doesn't do it for me in the way of I think he can be a starter in this in this league for a long time I think he is a premium backup I think that's where his niche is, and I think that's where he's going to exist. And as long as he is in the NFL, if you need two, three, four starts out of somebody because your starter is down, Nick Mullins is going to be that guy you want. 
but I don't think he carries a team for 16 games. I think his physical limitations, I don't think he can push the ball down the field as well as Garoppolo. I don't think he can throw outside the numbers as well as Garoppolo. And I think that he, once he gets off script and once, once Kyle Shanahan's play calling isn't perfect, he kind of breaks down and he can't do all the things that you need out of your quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo, while not perfect at it, can improvise a little bit better than Mullins can, I think. So I don't think there's much – I don't think – I can't say there's no truth to it because I'm not Kyle Shanahan, but I don't think there's much truth to the idea that he favors Mullins over Garoppolo. The Niners are really no uh, – they're no stranger to quarterback controversies. They saw back when Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick were there, and even to a certain point, Garcia and Steve Young, when Young was getting older. Uh, let me ask you this. What would Nick Mullins have to do – to make it a quarterback controversy. And do you see any similarities? Let's say Garoppolo's leg isn't healthy for a little bit and he misses a game against the Rams and the Patriots. And let's, let's hope not, but let's say he does. And Mullins beats the Rams and beats the Patriots. Does it become a more serious conversation? And, and do you see any similarities at that point to the Smith and Kaepernick swap that happened with Harbaugh? I would see a little bit of similarity. Let's say he goes like Jimmy Garoppolo misses the next four games and Nick Mullins goes 4-0 and and throws no interceptions and just looks phenomenal. He's going for 300 yards a game. I think then you can start to look at, okay, maybe Nick Mullins is the answer. Maybe he does have more than I think he does. I don't see it as being as similar to Kaepernick and Smith because Smith was more of your your game manager, your safe quarterback. He's not going to turn the ball over, but he's not going to push the ball down the field. Colin Kaepernick was – you know, the first of his kind, pretty much. He completely revolutionized the way the game was played for a little while. And he was so electric. And in, in, in that first game against Chicago on Monday Night Football, when he went out and he put up so many yards rushing, so many yards passing, so many touchdowns, he threw some dimes, one to Kyle Williams down the field, which was, whew, it was beautiful. Uh, I don't think that that is the biggest difference here. I think it would be like you're going from Alex Smith to – a slightly younger, cheaper Alex Smith, because that's pretty much what you're getting with with Mullins and Garoppolo. They're very similar in play style. It's not it's not such a huge shift because the 49ers quarterback controversies, um, even going back to Young and Montana, Young was more of a scrambler, could make more things happen out of the pocket, and Montana was getting old, and you know he, he couldn't he couldn't move the ball, he couldn't move around as well. So it was just such a complete shift in the way the offense was called i think with with garoppolo and mullins you're pretty much going to call the same game pretty you know no matter really who's at quarterback because they they have similar limitations and they they operate pretty much the same way so i don't think i i I mean really dick mullins in order to make this a, a true quarterback controversy has to go out and win four straight from here four more in a row he has to look Really, really good doing it. Other than that, this is Garoppolo's job, and as soon as he's healthy, he's going to be back. Let's say Mullins does do that. Let's say Mullins somehow runs the table, and I love playing devil's advocate and playing the hypotheticals here. Uh, let's say he does it, and, and let's say he beats the Rams and the Patriots uh, and, and plays well against the Seahawks. And let's just say it happens, uh, and he beats out Garoppolo for the job. What would the Niners look like? We saw what San Francisco's peak was last year, being nine and a half minutes away from a Super Bowl win, which a game they should have won. We can all agree there, and they blew it. What would be the the the, the height for with Mullins under center? Would it be that, or would it be lower? Because I think it'd be lower. I I think it's a ten win team, maybe, with probably a first round, maybe a second round exit. And I think Garoppolo takes his team to the next level that Mullins can't do it. How do you feel about that? I feel I feel the same way, but if let's say Mullins does come out and he just it, it, it lights the world on fire, right? It lights the world on fire, and he, he puts up 350 yards a game with three touchdowns a game, all sorts of stuff. Uh, I, I still think that the that the limit the the limit for the team is about the same. I don't think this is a Super Bowl caliber team because they don't have the pass rush anymore. They don't have what they really relied on last year, which was just getting after the quarterback and, and covering up a a pretty good secondary i don't think they can do that anymore so they're going to rely more on the offense this year than they ever have before but the good news is the offense has more weapons that the 49ers have had in 20 years right this is the most exciting we've seen the 49ers offense be since steve young was around and until i yeah i I don't i don't see nick mullins or jimmy garoppolo really elevating this team to super bowl status uh it's just it's it's going to be 
a wild card team probably they're probably they're, they're playing catch up with the Seahawks from here right that that's just the team I think is going to win the west at this point and then they're going to have to find a way to win in the playoffs I think they can win one playoff game but I think if they have to travel somewhere like Seattle and play I think they're going to be in trouble if they have to travel somewhere Oh gosh, I don't even know. I think whole NFC is a mess right now. Pretty much Seattle and, and LA are the only two teams that really scare me. And I didn't think LA was going to be like this, but Sean McVay has really come out and shown that he has a, a, an ability to to change up his game plan and, and shown it to be very well. And Aaron Donald is playing some of the best football of his entire career. Uh, so those are the two teams that scare me the most because they can attack the 49ers in the two biggest ways. And that's Aaron Donald destroying their interior offensive line and Russell Wilson just cooking and just throwing the ball down the field and getting it to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett down the field. Um, yeah, I still think this is this is a wild card team, regardless of Mullins or Garoppolo, and I don't see them being able to get back to the Super Bowl. I don't think it's quite as bad as the Super Bowl hangover that everybody wants it to believe it's going to be. But the NFC across the board looks a lot weaker than I thought it was going to be. Even with the NFC weaker, do you think the Niners could go into a place like Green Bay and win? Or Because Green Bay has looked phenomenal this year, too, at least on offense. And we know what happened last year. We, we, to be blunt, we kicked their butt twice, <laughs> to put it the, the, the blunt way. Uh, and, and New Orleans hasn't looked the same. Drew Brees' arm looks kind of shot already. Michael Thomas has, has, has injury history and is injured again. Uh, do you think... Like, who would be better fared to go into the playoffs and travel? Like, do you think Garoppolo, who may not be able to take this team to a Super Bowl, do you think he would be more well-equipped to go into a place like Green Bay and like New Orleans, even though there might be no fans, and, and steal a win in the first round? I would rather play New Orleans than, than Green Bay in the first round, if I had to pick. I, I just think New Orleans, I think Drew Brees is washed. I don't think his arm is any good. I think for some reason they keep trying to make Taysom Hill a thing, and it's just not working for them at all. I don't understand that fascination that Sean Payton has with that guy. Um, and, and But both defenses kind of stink, right, between yeah. Green Bay. And that's, I think that's the overwhelming thing about the NFC right now is no one's defense is really any good. Dallas's defense isn't any good. Seattle's defense is terrible. You know, Arizona's is just okay. It really took a, a terrible, terrible, terrible game from the 49ers on offense to for them to not be 3-0 right now because I didn't think their defense was all that great. Uh, LA's defense is just, again, okay. It's I don't know. I think the 49ers and their weapons can go in and play a shootout with anyone. Uh, I think they can in a single game. I would like, I'm, I'm very anxious to see what happens. The 49ers and Packers play on Thursday night this year. I'm very anxious to see how that game goes because I think that will go – that's a good barometer test because I think the, the the offenses generally have the advantage on Thursday night, especially when it's a high-powered offense going up against the defense. And how do they handle Green Bay on a short week? Because if they can do that well, then I think they can go in and compete with just about anyone in the playoffs. Moving from hypotheticals to speculation back to the reality we're in now, and that's the quarterback quote-unquote controversy, when Garoppolo does return, whether it be this week against Philadelphia or against Miami or the Rams or whatever it is, do you think it will be business as usual for him? Or do you think he will feel some pressure to perform knowing that while Mullins won't take his job now, that there's going to be a possible future where if he doesn't play well, fans and maybe even Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have a conversation about swapping quarterbacks. Well, anytime your your backup comes in and plays well, there's pressure, right? You don't want to see somebody come in and take a job. So I think there's going to be a little bit of pressure on him, but I think Jimmy Garoppolo is also one of those guys. It's, it's just going to be business as usual for him. He's going to show up, he's going to work, he's going to play hard. And that, that's just exactly what he does all the time anyway. I, I don't think he's going to be sweating that if he makes a bad throw, he's going to be pulled. Because once you start doing that, that's just such a slippery slope for quarterbacks. Once you start to get in your head, and, and we'll talk about the Eagles here in a little bit, and their quarterback, because I think he's in his head. You know, once you get in your head as a quarterback, it's it's tough to get out of. And uh, I think it's going to be just business as usual for him. I don't expect him to, to, to freak out or to really not be able to perform because Nick Mullins had a good game, maybe two good games. Um, I just think it's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo being Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, I think my next question would be, and this is one of my keys to the game when they were in New York, the first time against the Jets, I said they need to let Jimmy G be Jimmy G. And it didn't seem like he could be Jimmy Garoppolo week one for a multitude of reasons. And so to me, when I think of Jimmy G, 
I don't think of him against the Saints when he w- went off, but I don't think of him like he played against the Cardinals. Week one, I see him as Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo against the Packers, where he'll hit the guys that are open, he'll throw to guys and throw to them being open, but he does have some struggles here and there, staring down receivers. Uh, but ultimately, Jimmy Garoppolo, to me, is a borderline top 10 quarterback on a good day. Top 8 on a good day. On a bad day, he's like the 14th best guy in the league, doesn't have a great day. Do you think Niner fans, and maybe this is more so to the ones that are calling for Nick Mullins, but do you think they take Jimmy Garoppolo for granted? And what do you think the Niners truly have in Jimmy G? I know you kind of already hinted at it, but is he just another guy who had one magical playoff run like Trent Dilfer with the Ravens or or Rex Grossman with the Bears? Or is he something truly special we should be more keen to appreciating now while we have it? So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Trent Dilfer and Rex Grossman, and I'm glad you brought up week one and week two. Because um, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is somewhere between a magical quarterback and Rex Grossman and Trent Dilfer. I think he's somewhere in between where, the way he played week one and the way he played week two. I think he's some, he exists somewhere in the middle. I think we'll see a little bit of some week two from him. We'll see a little bit of some week one. But I think week one is about as bad as we've seen him play for the 49ers. I think that was that was the the worst we've seen him play. And that's 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 the baseline for me. Is that's the you know that's that's it. It's the worst you're gonna see him play. So it can only go up from there. I don't think we see him play like he did against the Jets. Uh the thing with the Jets is against the Jets, he he hurt his ankle really, really early. And I think it took the processing away from him. And I think that's where he excels. When he first started for for the team in 2017, he didn't have much of the playbook, right? He was he was working on Shanahan light. And he just made single reads and made and got rid of the ball quick and, and was able to escape and make some plays happen. And I think that's what he needs to get back to. And I think uh, if he's if he's more towards what he was in week two, they'll be fine. That'd be fine because that's what I think he is. I don't think he's, I don't think he's great, and I don't think he's terrible. He, he's very much like Dak Prescott to me. He's not as good as people that love Dak Prescott think he is, and he's not nearly as bad as people that don't like Dak Prescott say he is. Jimmy Garoppolo is in that same camp. One final question about the quarterbacks here. I know we're going to go to Week Four and in, in, in this next question here, but Nick Mullins is going to be a restricted free agent this offseason, which means San Francisco can place a second or first-round tender, likely a second-round tender on Mullins, and a team would have to give up a second-round pick to sign him. So the Niners will get a second-round pick for Nick Mullins. Uh, so what's more likely? Mullins gets traded or signs a large, exten- a large extension with the Niners if he does indeed beat out Garoppolo? Uh, I think he would sign a large extension. If he beats out Garoppolo and they think he's the quarterback of the future and they think he's the guy, he'll sign an extension. I absolutely 110% believe they're going to put a second-round tender on him and they're going to dare teams to come sign him, just like they did with Kendrick Bourne, just like they did with Matt Breda. Hey, that's that's exactly what we're going to see out of this. And, and you know, that's that's the beauty of finding guys that are restricted free agents – or, excuse me, undrafted free agents because they become restricted free agents and you get, you get to use them – not use them, but you, you get to manipulate the way their contracts are handled. Um, let's say the Fortinaires choose to move on from from Garoppolo. And, and a team that always comes up in my head for them is Chicago, right? Send Garoppolo home. If yeah. he ends up they, – they, they, they move him to Chicago for some picks. They, they draft a rookie that they think is going to be the quarterback of the future. Maybe next year we see Nick Mullins just play on that tender – and then they turn the reins over to the rookie, you know, after after Mullins has a few starts or after he sits for a whole year, kind of like Patrick Mahomes did. Uh, I, I could see something like that happening. But really, uh, it, it all depends on how Garoppolo plays the rest of the way. If, if Garoppolo plays great, we're just going to see Nick Mullins on the tender and they'll go from there. If, if they move off of Garoppolo, that's when I think we start to see, uh, oh, maybe something, uh, maybe something crazy is going to happen. I know you said Garoppolo is playing for his job. Do you think if the Niners came to Garoppolo, and, and let's say San Francisco finishes 9-7, and seven, they're a wild-card team, uh, Garoppolo keeps his job, plays well enough to, to beat out Nick Mullins and kind of subdue him as fighting for his job, uh, do you think Garoppolo would take a pay cut? I know that's a big question mark. I know there's no r- real cap hit, but knowing that the Niners are going to have cap issues most likely and have a ton of guys to extend if they choose to, do you think Garoppolo would take a 
a pay cut or would that be something the Niners look at and go, hey, Nick Mullins didn't have much of a drop-off from Garoppolo to Mullins and we can cut, let Garoppolo go or trade him and then we can sign you know the rest of the 19 free agents we have to bring back and let one guy go and not have much of a hit. Yeah, I think that's definitely a conversation that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are having already. <laughs> I really think that's something they're talking about already. I don't know if they can get him to take a pay cut. I really don't. The quarterback market has shifted so much since he signed his deal and since he was the highest paid quarterback in the league. Patrick Mahomes has signed a half-billion-dollar deal. Uh, Deshaun Watson just got paid. Dak Prescott's about to get paid. There's plenty of guys and examples out there of dudes just blowing past what Garoppolo is making that I think it's going to be hard to be like, hey, man, we know you're the 18th best, like the 18th most paid quarterback. Can you take a pay cut from that? I don't think he will. And at that point, I'm like, okay, but then we're going to move off of you and we're going to trade you and we're going to, or we're going to cut you or we're going to do whatever they have to do. I, I don't think they just outright cut him. I really don't think that's going to happen. They'll find a trade partner for him. Um, but but I don't think a, I don't think a pay cut is likely or realistic just based on the way the quarterback market is going and where his salary is going to end up being in the rankings next year. That's an interesting conversation I would love to be in on between John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. And and, and even being in the room when they, whether it's trading or cutting or keeping Garoppolo, I would love to be there because we know the Tom Brady conversation happened and, and how that went. And it would just be so interesting to be a fly on the wall or at least maybe seeing Garoppolo's head as to what he's thinking. But the one thing we don't know is that who is going to play this Sunday versus Philadelphia. It could be Nick Mullins. It could be Garoppolo. And I don't think it matters who it is. I think the San Francisco 49ers are the clear favorite. Niners are 2-1. Eagles are 0-2-1. They tied the Bengals last week. So that's a big yikes. Uh, the Eagles come in as one of the worst teams in football. They're not the Jets and Giants, but they have not played very well. 24-ranked offense, 24-ranked passing attack, 17-ranked run game. Carson Wentz, you kind of hinted at him looking lost. He has looked lost. He's averaging two interceptions per game. Uh, I don't know how much you put into PFF, but he has thrown the most the most turnover-worthy plays at 12. He's been inaccurate, 59% comp percentage, and doesn't seem to have much chemistry with the receivers. And those receivers really haven't been healthy. Alshon Jeffries had injury history. Deshaun Jackson, J.J. Arsenega-Whiteside, they didn't practice today. Jalen Rager's on IR for a little bit. Uh, and now even Dallas Goddard is out against the Niners. Uh, he fractured his ankle. And so not only have the Eagles been bad, but now they're banged up. And my question to you is that this game earlier in the year or even in the offseason was a game people had circled saying this is an early test to see where San Francisco is. This, this, this is a game that could be a trap game. It's in prime time. Carson Wentz has proven to take the Eagles from worst to first, did it last year and how bad they were and brought them to a playoff seating. Um, but because of the injuries, because of you know how the season has played out for both teams, has the impact of this game on Sunday lessened, or do you think it will still have somewhat of that playoff-esque atmosphere, at least for San Francisco? It's going to have that playoff atmosphere. I think it really does, because Philadelphia is a desperate team. It's a desperate team. Over Pro Football Network, we're getting rumblings that, you know, maybe maybe Doug Peterson has taken this team as far as it can go. Now, you know, you got Doug Peterson kind of kind of sniping with 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 reporters and getting short with them when they ask him about Carson Wentz. Desperate teams do do crazy things. And I think we're going to see Doug Peterson go all the way into his bag of tricks this week. He's going to pull out all the stops. He's going to try and out Shanahan Shanahan. And I, I think that they are they are coming for the jugular, and there's no question that the 49ers are going to get the best effort they can out of the Eagles. Uh, Carson Wentz looks like he has regressed. I don't know what it is. It, he He's a guy that was on pace to win the MVP before he tore his ACL, and then he's just never been able to stay healthy down the stretch. But desperate teams do do crazy things, and, and the Eagles being 0-2-1 is almost terrifying. I almost wish they would have won against the Bengals get off the schneid, feel a little bit better about yourself, not come in so desperate for a win. But, man, this this team, I don't, I don't care what the injuries are. I don't care what's going on. I still think the Eagles are a threat. I think the 49ers are going to win the game, but I'm not just looking for – I'm not looking past this one. I'm not looking over this one like I did the Giants. The Giants, I was like, okay, they're going to beat the Giants. We can move on. I, I'm still focused on this one. I still think it's going to be a huge – moment for the 49ers because they are going to get some guys back and I think we're going to see what this team is really made of because they're going to have to hold off a team that wants it probably more than anyone they've played so far this year we talked about getting guys back and that would be Devo Samuel probably the biggest one maybe Kittle comes back I'm pretty sure he was a 
a full participant in practice today, and Shanahan spoke about that earlier and saying how, how excited he was to see him out there. Uh, but if Debo is healthy, I think that's one the one person we haven't seen at all this year and that Niner fans are clamoring to see again, and they might see him this Sunday. Uh, what are your expectations for him on Sunday this season, and and do you think Shanahan will ease him in to the offense knowing the injury he had uh, was, a, was a little serious uh, and could have caused him to miss almost an entirety or at least half a season? Or do you think Shanahan's going to go all out and say, look, he's healthy, we're going to use him uh, to the potential he can be used to? Well, I think if Shanahan wants to ease him in, he's going to have a hell of a time doing it because George Kittle only knows one speed, and that is just pedal to the floor. So I, I think what we're going to see from him is if he's ready to go and he's fully healthy, I think he was healthy enough last week. I think he could have played against the Giants if they absolutely needed him to, but for obvious and, and correct you know, reasons, they held him out of that game. Uh, Russ Dwelly played very well against the against the Giants, but I think they're really going to try and get Kittle and they're going to try and get him back in rhythm. I think this is a game where they kind of force-feed him the ball a little bit because whether it's Nick Mullins or, or Jimmy Garoppolo, they both have a very high comfort level with Kittle. Uh, you know, Kittle broke the, the single-season receiving yards record for tight ends in the last eight games. Nick Mullins was throwing him the ball. So they already have that rapport. I think we see him out there 100%, and I think they're going to really try and get him to be a big part of this offense because they want to get him going. Because once Kittle gets going, put that on tape, then it makes it easier for Debo. It makes it easier for Ayuk. It makes it easier for the run game. As soon as you establish that Kittle is your number one guy, that's where teams are going to focus. And I think once they focus on Kittle, that's when you get some of these young wide receivers. You get them the ball, and you let them create in space. Does the same go for Debo Samuel making his most likely his season debut on Sunday? Like, what are your expectations for him? And, and, and again, do you think Shanahan, knowing how serious his injury was as well, that he's going to ease him in, or is he going to go full force with him on Sunday against the Eagles too? They're going to ease him in. I don't even know if he plays. I really don't even know if Debo Samuel plays. Um, because they just saw Trent Taylor last year. Same injury, same foot injury. How devastating it was to him. Now, obviously, he had all the surgery hiccups where infections and extra surgeries and extra pins being put in. So it's a completely different ball game, but still wide receivers and foot injuries is, is holds your breath bad, right? It's like running backs with ACLs. You don't like to see it because the wide receivers depend so much on their footwork, just like running backs depend so much on their knees and the ability to cut. So it scares, it scares me to have Debo back out there. Just, I want to see him do it a little bit. And then once he, once I see him, I'll be comfortable. All right, cool. Once he, once he goes out and runs a couple routes and he catches the ball and he takes a hit, I'm like, all right, cool, he's back, he's good. Uh, but I think they ease him back in. Uh, Kendrick Bourne's been playing very, very well. Brandon Ayuk obviously had his coming out party last week. I think they just try and get Debo Samuel 10 to 15 snaps if he plays at all. And they just try and get him the ball once or twice and just let him, you know, let him, feel, it, let him feel it out a little bit, let him take a hit, let him go from there. Well, when I look at Philadelphia's defense, I think this might be the defense to do it against. They have struggled all year against coverage. Three of their starters have a 35 or worse grade in coverage, according to PFF. And I know you don't have to put uh, that much validity to them, but uh, Nathan Gary, who's a linebacker for Philadelphia, he's a 29.9 coverage grade. He's been awful. He has been one of the worst, if not the worst, coverage player in in the NFL. Uh, 13 targets, 13 catches allowed, 158 yards, two touchdowns, 10 first downs, no interceptions, zero pass breakups, and a pass rating of 156.9. So, the epitome of suck is Gary. Like, that's just what he is. And, again, with a lot of guys coming back off injury, like Debo Samuel and like George Kittle, do you see this Eagles defense as a team where if they want to get someone like Debo two to three catches and have him take one hit, this is the game to do it, knowing how bad Philadelphia is in coverage? And for Kittle, I mean, Kittle against a linebacker is already unfair. Could you see Kyle Shanahan targeting Kittle versus Gary the entire game and, and eating the Eagles' defense alive with Kittle. Uh, on, on the Kittle thing, yeah, 100%. That's why I said this is going to be a force-feed Kittle, the ball game, because these th- this Eagles team cannot cover tight ends. They, they, they cannot. They don't have the personnel to do it. I don't know what they're going to try and do against him. They're probably going to bracket him. They're going to try and keep somebody underneath and over the top at all times. But George Kittle just is is too good at getting open, and, and Kyle Shanahan is too good at scheming him open to not force feed him the ball. Um, I do think this is a good game for for Samuel to ease into. Like you said, get a couple catches, get off the field. I think that's what we see from him. But I really think this is going to be a just good – if George is good, he's fully healthy, his knee is fine, 
this is going to be a George Kittle eats game. If you're playing daily fantasy, I would 100% pick up Kittle this game if he is a full participant the rest of the week in practice. One other person we've already talked about today, and that's been Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm sure whoever's listening when the podcast goes live is going to go stop talking about Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm tired of it. But but we could also see him come back. And I already asked you how he'd play conservative or is, is he going to be the guy he was week one or week two. But do you think, I guess my question would be, how much does the ankle, let's say he's 90%, and he's, he's going to have to play and, and he feels fine enough to play on Sunday, how much of the how much does the ankle play into uh, how he plays? Do you, do you think we'll see how he played against the Jets, where maybe he's a little quicker with the ball, not as tentative? Uh, he sees Kendrick Bourne open, throws it to him right away, and doesn't kind of play this game where I'm going to run in the circle like he was in Week One for whatever reason. Or do you think we'll see the gunslinger version of Garoppolo? I guess gunslinger in quotation because he's not Brett Favre, but but do you think we'll see? him make the style of throws that we saw him do against Green Bay, against New Orleans, and even against a bad Jets uh, defense? I, I think it would be more towards the quick reads because if his ankle is not good, the one strength of this, this Philadelphia Eagles team is their defensive line, and it's particularly in the interior. Now, I know Fletcher Cox didn't play today, but Fletcher Cox is a top three defensive tackle. He's still he can still do it. I know he's getting up there in age, but he can still do it. And, and I think they're gonna they're gonna bring a lot of pressure right up the middle, and they're gonna try and force Jimmy Garoppolo to get rid of the ball quick. So I think that would be what, more what we see, especially if his ankle is not 100. percent It's 90 percent. He's going. Uh, that's that's what we're gonna see. Quick reads. Um, but to be honest, if it's 90 percent, I don't think he plays this game. I think this has to be 100 percent ready to rock and roll. And and otherwise, we're gonna see Nick Mullins take another uh, another start under center. I don't think anyone would say don't do that. I think anybody in their right mind would say let Garoppolo rest, let Mullins play. What's the worst that happens? Obviously, they can lose, but the way Philadelphia, the way Philadelphia is playing, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Uh, but I want to quickly go through the entire injury report really fast, and I want to ask you a question and keep this in mind while I read them off. Which one of these guys is the most important to have back on Sunday to beat Philadelphia? You mentioned how Philadelphia. They're going to come out. They're desperate. They're going to get everything they have against San Francisco and get their first win. And, and Doug Peterson has a lot to prove. Carson Wentz has played horrible this year. He has to come out and have a good game. Uh, so Jimmy Garoppolo, he has the ankle. He's questionable. Raheem Mostert, he's not He's not going to play. Jared McKinnon, he's questionable. Debo Samuel may or may not play. It's unlikely. It's likely. No one really knows. But he could be active. George Kittle, he practiced today fully. D. Ford's not going to play. Dre Greenlaw's not going to play. Witherspoon, Mosley, and K1 Williams. Out of those couple guys, Garoppolo, McKinnon, Samuel Kittle, and in the secondary, which one of those guys is the most important that needs to play on Sunday to beat Philadelphia? I'm going to give you three guys. I'm going to give you George Kittle, because I just think just what he can do, I'm just salivating, thinking what he can do <laughs> to these safeties and linebackers. Um, Jarek McKinnon, uh, who has been just a, a, a pleasure to watch. It's so much fun to watch Jarek McKinnon get back at it and really – get in the end zone three straight games after after being able to give nothing to the 49ers because of injury and, and, and watching fans just rag on him, rag on him, rag on him. Now I have three touchdowns in three games, and I have him on a bunch of my fantasy teams. Uh, I think Jared McKinnon. Um, and then I think K1 Williams um, coming out of the slot. I don't know what the 49ers' plan is in the slot without K1 Williams. They probably move Jimmy Ward down, and we see more Tarverius more at safety, but I don't like playing uh, – I don't like I don't like shuffling the pieces around like that. So I think K1 Williams – George Kittle and Jerick McKinnon are the three most important to play because uh, otherwise that they're like I said they're going to have to shuffle some pieces around maybe slot you know Jason Verrett inside with a Kello on the outside because uh, yeah Emmanuel Mosley I don't I don't think we see him this week he got smacked he got smacked by Jaquaski Tart last week so I don't know if we're going to see him um, yeah it's uh yeah I'd say my top three are, are Kittle McKinnon K1 Williams and let's go in that order Kittle McKinnon K1. I know the Niners did bring up, or they did sign Jamar Taylor back to the practice squad today. He played uh, nickel uh, in practice and training camp. I'm sure you already knew about that. But I have one final question uh, for you. What do you believe the outcome on Sunday will be? Can I get a score prediction and play a little game here? What is the headline following Sunday's game? Is it quarterback controversy continues, or is it something else? Uh, okay, I think the 49ers win. I think it's going to be a little bit closer than fans think. I think the line right now is sitting at six and a half. I think that's been uh, fluctuating a little bit. It might be at seven now. I haven't I haven't looked recently. I don't I don't tend to bet on the 49ers because that gives me too much stress. Um, 
I'm going to take the 49ers. I'm going to take them winning by 10. I've got them at a 20, 24 to 14. I think the Eagles can move the ball a little bit, but I think in the end, I think we're going to see it very similar to what we saw against the Giants. They're going to eat up time of possession. They're going to eat the clock. They're going to have long drives. They're going to be sustained drives. They're going to keep the ball out of Carson Wentz's hands, and they're going to make a turnover-prone quarterback make mistakes. I think it's going to be very similar to what we saw in the Giants game, just with a much more talented team in the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, I think the headline after the game, hmm, I don't think it's quarterback controversy. I think it's uh, 49ers back on track. I think that's what we're looking at. And they're surviving these three games, which I don't think, you know, you know, even last week, Michael Vick picked the Giants to win by 10. I don't think people are picking the 49ers to survive all these games, all these injuries and come out three and one because you want to be at the quarter pole, you know, every four games, every quarter pole, you want to be three and one because that leads you to be 12 and four. So I think 49ers back on track is the headline. Well, 12 and four is exactly where I had them at the end of this year. And granted, I did say they'd win the Super Bowl. That was before all the injuries happened. And maybe that's maybe that's wishful thinking on my part. But you can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Barr. That's M-A-T-T-B-A-R-R underscore. Be sure to check out his work on 49ers Hub, 49ers Web Zone, and also his podcast, the 4th and Gold Podcast. It's a wonderful podcast. And we'll link that down in the description so everybody can go listen to it. Matt, it was great to have you on. Thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Happy to do it anytime, man. Matt was wonderful to have on the podcast. He gave his final score prediction for Sunday's game. I need to give mine. My final score prediction for Sunday is 33-23. Matt said 10-point difference. I agree. I think it's a 10-point difference. 33-23. Carson Wentz has been horrible this, uh, this year. He's been throwing picks left and right, and you just can't give the Niners defense turnovers. You can't give Kyle Shanahan multiple opportunities to score because he's gonna do it but if you give him multiple chances he's going to put up a ton of points against you again Nick Mullins all he has to do is survive he did more than that last week and I think he can do more than that this week but all he has to do is survive I think San Francisco wins in prime time they start the quarter mark of the year three and one start the home standoff with a win over the Eagles on Sunday night, and they will await their Week 5 opponent, the Miami Dolphins. We'll see a ton of old faces like Marquise Goodwin. He'll be in town this weekend, uh, and Matt Breida will be in town next weekend. That will be fun to see. Hopefully, hopefully we can get healthy for the upcoming stretch because we play the Rams two times, the Patriots, Seahawks, Packers, and Saints. 2020 is heating up, and it's going to be extremely exciting So be sure to follow us on social media. Instagram is at 49ers.access. Twitter is at 49ers underscore access. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Tell your friends 49er Access is out there. Tell them to follow the Instagram. If they want 49ers content, tell them to follow us. And until next time, have a great, great week four. Have a great time. Be safe out there cheering on the Niners. And until next time, my name is Sterling Bennett, and stay faithful.